Welcome to episode 250 of the Thunder Underground Podcast. Trent and Jason here as always. And this week, I think uh, 250 is one of those numbers, you know, it's one of those marks, right? Like Pretty a monumental much. number, I guess, like Pretty a 100, much. 200, yeah. 250. 250, which that's like what I weighed in kindergarten. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, you know, always a, always a, you know, a marker, kind of a landmark, not a landmark kind of thing, but uh, fuck me, I botched this all up. <laughs> but, I mean, we, you know, to, to, to commemorate a milestone episode, I think that we've got a good one going on here. We've got James Lomenzo joining us, of course, and that's a that's a great, great two hundred fiftieth episode. I think if you're uh, a fan of John Fogarty, White Lion, Black Label Society, Zach Wilde's other stuff like Pride and Glory or Book of Shadows, mm-hmm. Megadeth, Megadeth, yeah, you've heard this guy's name many times throughout the years, and being a fan of all those, this is really cool. So I'm super happy, definitely. Can't wait to get into this one, but before we do, we need to let you know, as always, that we are sponsored by DEB Concerts and MedFarm. MedFarm is a dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, at 24683 East Highway 51. They're right there off the highway. You can't miss them. Get in there. They've got a huge selection. If you go in and tell them you heard about them here or mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your order, which is very cool. Follow them on all their social medias and their website. They're always running specials as well. You can find them at medfarmok.com. Also, Medfarm on Facebook is P-H-A-R-M, and Instagram is at medfarmok. You can also find them on the Leafly website, which is where they list all their product. They've got a doctor on site every Friday and Saturday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. if you need to get a card. And on top of all that, their slogan is Cannabis with a Cause because 30% of their proceeds is going to help build no-kill animal shelters, which is an extremely noble cause, as you've said before. Very noble. So, yeah, get in there and help, you know, help build no-kill animal shelters by spending your money on their product. Can't beat that. They're locally owned, family owned, 100%. None of this outside investor stuff. Yeah, so get in there and tell MedFarm that Thunder Underground sent you. Excuse my voice. By the way, I don't know what's going on. I'm not sick, but I sound like it. Now, I got a couple theories, but I'm not going to say anything. Okay. <laughs> Try to be nice. Yeah, you can say it later, I guess. When we get <laughs> deep into this episode. But DB Concerts, promoter right here in Tulsa that has brought in a ton of amazing acts to the ideal barroom like Saxon, Last in Line, Sebastian Bach, Tom Kiefer, LA Guns, Kicks, Junkyard. Warrant, and now they're bringing in Buck Cherry to the Ideal Barn on February 22nd. That's going to be a good one. That one undoubtedly will sell out. Tickets have moved pretty fast. Oh, you know it. I know that uh, Grind and Fist of Rage are both opening, and they've both posted that they've sold out of the tickets they had, and they've got another batch of tickets. So, I mean, that's how fast these things are moving. You know? Hell of so, a show. I can't wait. Yeah. Hit up Grinder Fist Rage for your tickets. You save a little bit of money, and you help them out. Eddie Trunk will be hosting this show, as he always does there at the Ideal Barroom. And DEB Concerts also booked the DNB Processing Stage at the Roadhouse at Rocklahoma 2020. 
They did the same last year, and this year is no different, as Doug joined us on an episode last week. Oh, yeah, you guys heard all about it. Yeah, spilled the beans on all that. Headliners like Warrant, John Five and the Creatures, Lynch Mob, Liliac. You've also got Bullet Boys, Fist of Rage, several other bands out there, Severmind. Yeah, Travis Bond. Yeah, uh, 90 Pound Wrench. You can find all that at rocklahoma.com. Course. And also debconcerts.com. So yeah, huge thanks to to DB Concerts for their continued sponsorship, and you'll hear more you know more about all the Rocklahoma artists as we get closer to that. Awesome. Speaking of Rocklahoma, as we've mentioned many times over the past maybe two years now, there's a show called Surviving Rocklahoma that Adam Richmond hosts every Sunday night. He goes live on Facebook, 9 p.m. Central. And he's now also gotten that put into podcast form, so you can check it out. That's listen, great. Listen to it after the fact, or yeah. you can also listen to the Facebook video after the fact as well. We were just on there this week. Uh, dude, it was so so much fun uh, to break down the lineup and other kind of stuff with Adam. Um, thanks for having us on, dude. And uh, anytime you want us back on, we'll do it. Um, you know, it, it's kind of fun getting interviewed for a change. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it was a blast. It's always yeah something we'd talked about actually doing with him. Like, man, I think the year he started in 20, I think he started in 2018, mm-hmm. but finally got to do it. So yeah, like you said, it was, it was great fun and hope to be back on there soon. So get on Facebook and follow surviving Rocklahoma and check him out every Sunday night. It's fun. He always plays music as well. And Talks about everything involving Rocklahoma and all the bands playing. Of course. All right, before we get into uh, the James Lomenzo stuff and some other stuff, we've got to talk about Reed Mullen. Oh, man. Yeah. Reed Mullen, uh, drummer for uh, Corrosion Conformity, passed away, uh, 53 years old. He was on this show. Uh, he, he was quite the personality, uh, one of the nicest guys, and, uh, you know, it's 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 a sad loss. It really is. Yeah, huge fan of this band since we were kids. So it's and it's very cool to see. I mean, anytime someone from the metal world, you know, passes, you know, you see a lot of musicians paying their respects. But I was, you know, and I, I know a lot of people love Coc and Reed Mullen, but I was just kind of surprised at the level of the amount of different. Uh, artists across the board that were posting stuff, you know, just personal stories or yeah. about him as a friend and how many people revered him as such a great drummer. And of course, I mean, he was, he was yeah. so unique and unorthodox and uh, I mean, just made those records stand out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not even a drummer and I can, I mean, I can hear that the guy's unorthodox. I mean, you listen to mm-hmm. if, yeah, if someone like if someone wrote the riff to Albatross and came up to you or anybody else and said, here, lay drum tracks on this, it wouldn't be what he laid on that. Exactly. You know, it doesn't sound normal at all. And then even a song <laughs> like Long Wick, Big America, you know, yeah. it's just the, the things that are going on just aren't your typical, you know, rock or hardcore or metal exactly. drumming. Exactly. And I mean, the guy was the founding member. He, you know, if you're a fan of COC and you, you're not familiar with the stuff before Pepper Keenan, Reed Mullen was the voice, you know, up until Blind. Yeah. When they got, uh, drawn a blank on that dude's name. Carl Jill. Yeah, Carl. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, and then whenever they went back to that, when Pepper was gone with the three piece, you know, Reed was on vocals. Mike Dean actually the day he passed posted posted a cool video like from the stage of like a show in 2010, um, from one of those tours. But yeah, so just like we mentioned on the episode when we had him on, and a million other times since, Coc's. One of our favorite bands, and yeah. that guy was definitely one of our favorite guests we've ever had on a show. Oh man, he he took he took so much, you know. He he took the time out and he took the care. It really, really showed us, made us feel like one of those things where you know you, you made you feel comfortable and like you were supposed to be there, which we were, and all this stuff. And go back and listen to it. It's it's super fun. Yeah, it was cool because it took place. Like their sound check went long or something, and he wasn't able to do the the interview before the show, and it yep. ended up uh, having to do it after the show, which kind of made me think it was going to get cut down on time a little bit because it's after show. They, yeah, you know, if they're not hanging around, just hanging out with people, they're going to hit the road or something. But exactly, you know, after he got done, he came out, and we went and found a spot, and we were with him for probably an hour, yeah. you know, after the show. So yeah, it was insane. Yeah, so it's. <laughs> That just goes to show you, yeah, what kind of cool guy this was. And like you said, a million great stories. And check out Teenage Time Killers if you never have as well. Definitely. I have the vinyl. It's fucking rad. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Once again, a huge loss in the, the hard rock and metal world there with Reed Mullen. Exactly. All right. So this past weekend, I went to uh, see British Lion. Yes, you did. If you're not familiar with British Lion, that is Steve Harris's side project. They just put out their second album about a actually last Friday and, or maybe it was two weeks ago now. And it's a great album. You know, it's, it's more, it's a little more hard rock leaning than Iron Maiden is, but it's mm-hmm. still got a lot of metal. I like roots, how you, roots to it. I like how you told me it's like, it's kind of hard rock with like metal leaning, but like with power metal vocals. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And, and you see him live and it's even more so cause that singer's, I was just sitting there thinking, I haven't really looked into him, but I should. I'm like, I bet this guy has a power metal band besides British Lion. And does he? I don't know. I still haven't looked into it. I need to, because he just has that that sound and his stage presence, the way he acts on stage is like a power metal vocalist. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, a really cool live and Steve Harris, even a few of those songs almost had an Iron Maiden feel to him because you've got, when you're listening to it, you know, Steve Harris's bass bleeds through all that. Yeah, I mean, you got Steve Harris galloping through it, you know. You can't yeah. not kind of have that sound sometimes. <laughs> right. And then you're watching him, it's just like when he's on stage with Iron Maiden, you know, that one one foot's on the amp half the time, mm-hmm. and then you got the machine gun bass. That's right. Every once in a while. And the coolest part of all of it was after the show, the guy came out. I mean, this is the founding member of... Arguably the biggest metal band in history. And he didn't have to do that. Yeah. He came out and met everybody that wanted to meet him. That's awesome. It wasn't just like, hey, get a try to get an autograph or a picture while he's walking to the bus. You know, he stood in the venue and met every single person. That's great. That's great. And yeah, and you know, I met the guy and it was uh the first time I'd been nervous meeting someone in quite a while. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just because of who it was, I mean, and what he means to the world of music. Yes. Not just metal. Exactly. So, yeah, check out British Line if you have not. And uh, also the picture books opened up this show. This band is a sight to behold live. I mean, it's just a two-piece. They're out of Germany, and they're fantastic. They got this kind of bluesy guitar, garage rock, fuzzy kind of 
noise thing going on. Mm-hmm. And it's more evident live than it is on record. On record, you hear it, but it's it sounds like one of those two-piece kind of bands when you hear it on record. Yeah. But live, it's just like this huge wall of sound, and there's so much intensity and passion, you know, from both of them. I mean, he beats the shit out of the drums, like, yeah. you know, like they owe him a fucking 15 grand or something, you know, like, <laughs> and there's, you know, and he's telling stories in between and you can just tell these guys enjoy what they do. And they're, um, the singer's dad is on tour with them as the sound man and the driver. And, well, we'll tell them, talk about how you told me that they don't really, they never really took lessons and they didn't really know how to play. They just, they just started. Yeah, that's what he... So, so they're just going into this shit totally cold, which is kind of cool in a way. Yeah, that's what he... He told a little story about that live, and then I kind of read it on a, in an interview thing after the show, where he just... Yeah, he mentioned that they... just He just picked up a guitar, and the drummer just picked up the drums, and, you know, he never really learned it and just started beating the shit out of it. And then he just... He said he still doesn't even really know chords. Everything he does is open tuning. And in that interview I read, he said there's sometimes they've had musicians, like professional musicians watching him and saying, how are you, what are, what you're playing doesn't make any sense, but it sounds cool. So whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I would rather hear this than anything on the fucking radio. Yeah. So yeah, fucking do it. Yeah. Look these guys up live videos. I'm <clears> for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're badass and they're also, they're doing this British line tour. And then they're doing the Volbeat Clutch Tour this spring. Right. So it looks like they're they're getting their name out there. So I think this might be a band you hear more about here in the coming year. That's fucked. It's 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 great, but it's fucked. It's like I spent so many hours in my bedroom learning to play guitar when I was a kid, and uh, now I make fucking airplane parts for a living. <laughs> So I don't know. I guess, and these guys are saying, oh, "Let's just, I don't know. Let's just bang on this shit." Oh well, here you can open for Volbeat now. <laughs> I, it's just well, insane. I, how I this think shit it was more out. than just a short period. I think they've been doing it quite a while. Really, they just never have took the time to learn the proper way, <laughs> right? Now, because their their newest album came out in 2017. Okay, well, I can't fucking blame them for and, that. Uh, I mean, whatever works, if it's working, keep doing it. Fuck it. Yeah. That's that's interesting. That's fucked. Wow. Wow. <laughs> fucked in a cool way. I yeah, guess. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not I'm not down it. It's actually refreshing. It's just wow, you know, it's 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 crazy. We should play some music. Let's do it. Okay, we're gonna play right now a band that hopefully you've heard of. If you haven't, you have at least heard of the three guys that make the band up. The Revolution Saints have been around now five or six years. And their third album, Rise, just came out this past week. And this song is called When the Heartache Has Gone.
When the Heartache is Gone. Brand new single from the brand new album Rise from Revolution Saints. And if you're not familiar with Revolution Saints, that is Jack Blades on bass, Doug Aldrich on guitar, and Dean Castronovo on drums and vocals. So that, that's the first thing to point out. That like the first when that first album came out, I don't know unless I just forgot that I didn't know that Dean Castronovo was a vocalist, especially at this caliber. Yeah, where I mean, oh, it's the guy very can sing like a motherfucker. It's very reminiscent of obviously someone else who used to be in Journey was Steve Perry. So the fact that this guy's been playing drums at a high level for all these years, and then now we find out. You know, all this time later that this guy's just freaking amazing when it comes to vocals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it, it's it, the, the three of them, you know, they really came together and, and it's a Frontiers thing, Frontiers Records. It's a label out of Italy. Um, and they do a lot of AOR album rock, 80s oriented stuff, you know, whatever. You get the idea. And this is what they wanted them to do, and they came together and did it. And I mean, it, it's just the most it, I, for 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 people our age, you know. And I don't think I I I heard Doug Aldrich in an interview the other day, and he said the same thing. You know, this is an '80s inspired thing, and if that's where your tastes lie, you're going to love it. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying, you know, if. If you like that kind of 80s uplifting, you know, sports movie kind of soundtrack, I mean, this is up your alley. And it's really, to me, it's kind of more akin to the early 80s or mid 80s. Right. You know, Um, so, uh, you know, really, like if you love Journey and and Foreigner and Night Ranger, I mean, you're going to go fucking gaga over this shit. Yeah. Um, this song, this song that we just played, I want to put on my fucking, I want to put on my leotard, my leg warmers and do some aerobics, like some real <laughs> bouncy aerobics. Right. And it was on TV back then. I mean, that would not be a, 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 a sight for anyone to see, but fuck it. I would want to do it. <laughs> um, right. and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I mean that with love and the best, in the best way. So, I mean, if, 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 if you know the polished, just soaked with harmonies and catchiness, uh, w- with like, <clears throat> heavy, you know, you know, just kind of razor guitars is your thing. Look no further. Yeah, absolutely. Three phenomenal musicians, and yeah. the guitar solos are fucking wicked because it's Doug, Doug Aldrich. Aldrich. Yeah. If if like Dirk Diggler and Chest Rockwell would have like made it with their band and been good, <laughs> it would have been this band. It That's really right. fucking would have. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, check out Rise. It's the new album. They've got two other albums. And that's another thing. I mean, a lot of these super groups like this, you only get one album from. We've got three now from Revolution Saints, which is pretty cool. So, and if this is your first time hearing them, like Jason said, if you like that song, I guarantee you're going to love all three of these albums. Yeah, so, I mean, eat it up. Yeah, absolutely. All right, should we get into some James Lomenzo stuff? Let's do it. All right, like we said up front, James Lomenzo has been in a, a part of a lot of a lot of great stuff. And this one is very cool to me because he's been in a part of a lot of stuff that, like, I don't just like, I fucking love. Love, yeah. 
And I mean, it's kind of when you look at his trajectory, it's like the same trajectory path I went on as far as loving music. Like he started with White Lion. Yeah. And I was in the White Lion and all the glam stuff. <laughs> and then into the 90s, he did all the Zach Wild stuff, which I got heavy into. And then Slash, Snake Pit. Yeah. Which, of course, is one of my favorite guitarists, just like Zach Wild. And then moved into Black Love Society and Megadeth and all that stuff is just kind of the same progression I took, I think. Yeah. And then when you did. <laughs> Fogarty, which you're fucking batty over CCR. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it went full circle. Yeah, full circle. And, <laughs> it, you know, he, we got the opportunity to talk to him and, uh, it was a great conversation. Uh, great dude, great stories. And yeah, this is, this is awesome. He played bass on my second favorite album of all time, Book of Shadows. Well, and then uh, fucking, second, his work on Pride and Glory yeah. is insane. Oh, absolutely. You know? Both those albums, if for some reason you're out of the loop on Zach Wilde's pre-Black Love Society stuff, Pride and Glory and Book of Shadows are both fucking phenomenal. Change your life. That's right. And it's really cool in this interview, like, especially with guys like this that have been around a long time, we've usually shied away from asking them, like, stuff like, how'd they get started with this and that, you know, other than just, like, maybe influence stuff as a kid, but... Mm -hmm. He goes into this great story about how he got started with White Lion as well as how he met Zach and the progression of all the stuff he did with him. Yeah. Just based off of us asking him about Pride and Glory. So mm -hmm. I was I was really glad he went into all that stuff. So if you're a fan of White Lion or Zach Wild, you're gonna love this interview, I think. Oh definitely. So let's get into it. Here's James Lomenzo. saw this weekend you're going to be at NAM with Rotosound. Like, is that something you've done with them before? Or you've Have you done NAM with other I, companies as well? Well, I've been with, uh, with Rotosound since, oh my God, since, um, since the early days of White Lion. Um, oh, wow. I signed, signed up with their company. We were in an enviable position at that point to kind of pick sponsors. And they were nice enough to offer me um, a string deal back then, which basically means they give me a certain number of strings per year for my likeness. And fortunately, my likeness became somewhat valuable to them. So it kind of worked out great for all of us. But before that, um, I had bought their strings, um, fell in love with them um, whilst visiting my cousin in California. And I was just a young bass player, like 13 years old. And, um, he, you know, his friend was a bass player in his band. He says, you got to try these things out, man. This is that sound you're looking for. And they were different than all the other strings at the time. You know, they had these crazy round mounds that sound like piano strings. And so uh, as soon as I got back to Brooklyn, that's the first thing I did was go and purchase at $30, which in back in 19, my God, 72 was a fortune in Pools Gold, probably about twice as much as it costs now to buy them. Um, but anyway, it changed my life um, as far as just having a really great sound out of my bass that I was looking for. And so I was very fortunate to become liaison with those guys. And um, I've done a few of these signings before. Um, this time I'll be appearing with, uh, with, uh, Billy Sheehan, who's, um, one of my personal heroes and, uh, an awful great guy and a good friend. So we'll both be signing at that booth on Saturday. Jumping into like what you're currently doing, which is John Fogarty. I've never seen 
you know, in the past, I guess once it had been six or seven years, like how did that come about? Like how'd you end up getting that gig? Okay. So, um, I've been doing John's, I've been in John's band for about six years now. Um, I had back in, um, let's see, where does that put us? I guess back in the, uh, back about six or seven years ago, eight years ago, I started this little, uh, jam night out in Burbank, California, where I used to live. Now I'm a little further up North, but, um, it's a friend of mine's restaurant called Lucy's, um, Lucy's, uh, Lucy's restaurant. Um, I started this jam night because he was having trouble getting people in on Thursday nights because he had a blues night. It just wasn't doing well in that neighborhood. So he was like, well, could you get some of your famous friends to drop by and jam? And I said, I'd love to do that because actually I'm kind of looking for some kind of way to make some music locally without, you know, too much wear and tear and just have fun. So that's what I did. Anyway, I'd met, um, I met um, Kenny Aronoff at a session up at Frank Zappa's place that we were doing for, I think it was uh, DMC from known famously from run DMC. And um, I, first time I had met Kenny, although I was quite aware of him, you know, he used to play in John Mellencamp's band back in the eighties and all that. He's a famous drummer. He's played on prop pra- practically everything that you've ever heard throughout the eighties. Right. He was like the session, the first call session guy. And he had a really great style. So anyway, um, after my friend had, offered me this this night at his uh, at his club um i'd first asked brian tishy and brian tishy uh was the drummer in pride and glory with me and zach wild um if he would do it and he was going on tour with white snake i think uh, i might have that wrong but i think that's what he was saying at the time so um or foreigner so he he wasn't freed up and so i sheepishly called up kenny and kenny agreed to do it and i said kenny you realize it's not going to be a fortune and fool's gold on this it's really just for fun because it's exactly what i'm looking for kenny had been playing with john Fogarty for about 20 years and so um you know so we started this jam night and all of a sudden like if you build it they come like all my friends from the 80s and 90s and all these people started showing up and the place became a little bit of a happening hot spot you know we got a lot of people there every night we used to jam with the local people that come down it's a great night Anyway, I digress. Um, I'd seen John Fogarty on TV one night on the uh, Tonight Show, and Jay Leno was still there. And um, Kenny was playing, and he showed up the next week. And I said, man, I saw you on TV. What a, what a hoot, man. That was great. I said, your bass player is amazing. A guy named Dave Santos, wonderful bass player. He was playing with, uh, with John. And so he goes, yeah, well, this is really strange. You know, he's not in the band anymore. I said, well, what happened? He's like, well, he's just, he's just not with the band anymore. So I said, well, you know, I'd sure love an opportunity to play with John Fogarty. And he goes, I know, I told them about you, but they've already looked at a bunch of other people. So they're still auditioning people. But, you know, they, they kind of said, all right, well, we've got an idea of who we want. So about a week later, um, Kenny told them, um, this is what Kenny tells me later on, that he said they settled on this one dude, but he played kind of like my style, which is kind of really aggressive and, you know, a little heavier than you should play the old Cretan stuff. And John liked that a lot. And so Kenny stepped up and said, you know, you should really listen to my friend James because, you know, I, th- I think he's probably more what you're, you're looking for. He's like what that guy has, but a little more. So anyway, I got thrown in with another six guys. Two of them used to come to the jams all the time and uh, just did a cold call audition. And I guess the short version of that story is John just liked what he heard. And I uh, got a call a day or two later and offered me a gig. Generally, you know, everything you'd done had been rock or metal. Up, I mean, hard rock or metal up to that point. I mean, I know you've done session stuff and everything, but was that live transition either easy? You know, when it you was, had to like kind of hold back a little bit? No, no, it was insanely easy. I have to tell you that um, when I started, when I was buying those Roto Sound strings at 13, 
I was um, I was actually just finished playing acoustic guitar and singing. I was just an acoustic guitar singer guy because I just figured out some chords and I played whatever was on the radio. And guess what was on the radio at around 1970? It was all the Credence music. Yeah. And so, you know, it's before my voice had like gone from there to there. So I could sing anything that he could sing. John's got a really high voice, by the way. And so that was part of my repertoire. I used to play two or three um, uh, Credence Clearwater Revival songs. So um, my whole trajectory musically has always been everything and anything. And it wasn't necessarily metal. I got into metal because it was really exciting and some opportunities came up. And so what happened was I had to kind of get a pedigree to be able to play it well and understand what that was. But it was just I also played in dance bands and, you know, disco bands and rock bands and, you know, rock being my the thing I loved. Um, when I went to high school and uh, college early on, I was playing French horn. So I was also into orchestral music. And so the thing that really brought it all together for me was um, was probably John Entwistle at a very formative age because um he was playing the French horns and he had all those horn parts and he was playing bass and those who songs when you hear like quadrophenia, the way it's orchestrated and all that, that had a lot to do with, with John's influence as uh, being a, a horn player. And so um, that was really exciting to me. And so, you know, this transition to be a metal guy, to be a rock guy, to be this and that, I mean, I've always played all kinds of music no matter what. And so I was kind of fortunate to have a really kind of a cool career along the way and get into a lot of these heavier bands, which I love the power of hard rock and metal. John Fogarty a few times now since you've been in the band and I know everybody you know there's that section of the show where everybody does a solo and is that a rehearsed thing with Kenny and the other guys or do you guys kind of is it a jam thing is it change every night we could we could keep it pretty well open but what, what keeps happening especially when we play in Vegas because we do these these runs in Vegas now um there's a limited time you know so what happened is we kind of like we kind of after all these years of doing it kind of formulated into certain parts of the so like we kind of stretch out just a little but there's really no point to it um we just take the, like the choices bits that tend to get the audience interested and consolidated to that i mean you've got a keyboard solo in we're, we're talking about the song grapevine uh heard it through the grapevine heard it through the grapevine there's a <laughs> and first of all i have to say that one of the the funniest things okay so i've, I've been in megadeth and i've been in black label society and i can go on and on right it's the first time anybody's ever asked me at a rehearsal anybody's ever said this to me um john two rehearsals into it we're playing heard it through the grapevine and john turns to me and goes you know i think we need a bass solo here right <laughs> <laughs> I was dumbfounded and frankly a little terrified because I really didn't know, you know, my acumen of bass solo would be like an over the top sort of thing. And I, I think I found a sweet spot where it kind of works with the music without being ridiculous. But anyway, I don't really um, I don't really go for bass solos in rock music for the most part, because there's I mean, if you if you're really into bass like I am, and I think a lot of bass players, if there's any of you out there listening, I think they might agree that bass in itself is so active if you do it a certain way you know you're playing rhythm you're playing a melodic counterpoint you're doing all these things it's almost like you're constantly soloing anyway in a strange way you're still breaking arpeggios into the chords and all those things so it seems superfluous to have to put an audience through that you know just take all the other <laughs> instruments away and go see how terrible it really sounds you know? uh, <laughs> <laughs> and besides we've got you know um, these amazing players like um tal wickenfield beautiful uh female bass player, I don't even know why I say female, but she's she's a phenom. Um, uh, Jaka Pistorius recording, Jack um, Jack Cass, um, I'm sorry, uh, come to me in a second, uh, somebody else. Um, Jaka Pistorius, um, all these great, great documented bassists. I mean, I still chase that dream every day. I want to be like the, the Jocko of my dreams. And it 
keeps me inspired. But if you're not going to really do that, then I think more hand clapping and more like quarter notes is probably the best you can do. So anyway, that's that's. But thank you for noticing that I'm just standing back there, playing uh, down on the corner. <laughs> so where, where did you where did you see that play by the way? Um, I've seen you in Tulsa three times now. Oh, right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, the most yeah that one just a couple weeks ago and then a couple times over the past few years. Very cool. Yeah, with such a catalog that Fogarty has and CCR, what what are your favorite ones to play live? What are the ones you really look forward to? Each and every one of them. I love all those songs. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's one of the weird. It's one of these weird gigs. It was the same when I played with David Lee Roth. Um, I'm driving, driving in the car. Now we play this stuff every you know almost every night. You know, so by virtue of just the reputation, you should be tired of it, right? But if I'm driving down the, the road and one of those songs comes up, my arm just instinctively reaches for the dial and turn, cranks the thing up. These songs are like history, you know. And so it's 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 a it's not wasted on me. It's a wonderful charge to be able to perform these songs, you know, as best I can with you know with uh, with with John, who's just at his age. He's at any age. He's just an amazing performer and musician. Well, do you? Uh, I mean, you kind of mentioned it a minute ago, but do you miss? playing heavy music live or does no, it all just always, kind of... I am always playing. I'm always playing heavy music somewhere. I've always got something going on. Okay. Um, we just, uh, we ran to, um, let me see. We have this thing called hail and I mean, we, um, um, I'll, you guys That's know right. I was on the amazing race yeah. TV show, right? Yeah. So my partner, uh, Mark Abatista, after I had left, uh, Megadeth, uh, the first call I got was from my friend, Mark, who became my friend at that point. I really hadn't met him before then. And um, he basically said, okay, so I've got this thing called Hell. It was with Dave Ellison. Dave Ellison's back in Megadeth. You're uh, free. Do you want to take Dave's place and we'll go across the world? And the, the whole deal with this band Hail is it's like a little roving all-star uh, amalgam. He puts, uh, so Mark Apatista puts together these musicians, calls the furthest part of the planet. Hello, furthest part of the planet. You know, I think the first time it was... Um, um, the outskirts of Russia and Ukraine. Wow. And, um, you know, and he'll get like, so the first one was with, um, trying to think, um, uh, I don't know. I'm, you know what? I was at partying all last night, so I'm a little tired, but <laughs> stay with you. Um, the first one was with the lead guitar player from Sepultura, fill in the blank there. Um, and, uh, Paul, thank you. Andreas Kisser. Yes. W wonderful, amazing guitar player. Um, uh, Let's see, Paul Bostaff back in Slayer, but now no more Slayer, so maybe we'll get him back. But um, and uh, Ripper Owens, and so that was kind of the first thing I did. Now I digress. Oh, so my point was, I'll just jump to the future because I know you only have so much time. But um, I ended up um, we we did one of these last summer, and um, we went to Bahrain and we went to um, Dubai, and um, this was with um, this was with Chris Adler. Yes. Uh, from Lamb of God and Phil Demmel from Machine Head and um, and Zetro uh, Stephen Sosa from uh, uh, Exodus and we just had a blast again. So I mean, I'm always doing something metallic somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's, I, it's good. I, I totally forgot you you did that. I mean, God, wh where do you start picking songs for all that? I mean, there's such a list to pick from. Well, that's the, the whole thing. It's a, it's a, it's a cover, you know, it's like yeah. this overqualified cover man. Right. <laughs> and so, um, we just pick whatever, like we, like what we do is literally, cause we don't live in the same city, you know? So we start making phone calls and sending out emails and everybody makes a, a list on a piece of paper and say, I love these songs. How do you feel about this? 
And so the singer might go, well, I don't sing that as good as this one. Let's do more of these type of songs. The drummer might go, I love, you know, I've always wanted to play this. And that's really where it, it comes out of total enthusiasm. You know, um, I think uh, Chris wanted to play Billie Jean, but then we realized he was actually pulling our leg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done it. <laughs> well, you miss, you mentioned Jaco Pistorius earlier. Did you see that documentary, I assume? Absolutely. The one that Robert Trujillo produced. Right. Yeah, that was great. fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, you can't get enough. I, I, I wish everybody in the world were forced to sit and and see that documentary, at least a part of it. Just to see that musicians, you know, it doesn't always have to be a guitar player or this or that. Music comes out of where it comes out of. And to, to take the bass where Jaco Pistorius took it and influence so many of the bass players to take it to other places that, you know, perhaps he didn't even think existed. Um, that's that's an amazing legacy. And, you know, he's always put in the jazz category. Well, that's because he did a lot of homework on, on, the, on, on the bass. You know, he learned everything you can possibly squeeze out of it. But he wasn't just a bass player. You see in the documentary, he's a pianist. He was a gifted composer. Two or three months ago, that Pride and Glory 25th anniversary reissue vinyl came out. Um, how do you look back on that time? Are you really fond of that time? Was it a great experience making that album and touring and everything? That was that was actually one of my favorite things that I've ever done. Like if you said, well, you know, pick your top, you know, you have one hand to choose. And that's somewhere like between one and two. And I'll tell you what. Um, I, I'd been knocking it out back then with, uh, with White Lion. Okay. We'd had a ton of hits. Uh, we'd already done three or four world tours. We'd opened up for just about every big band we were fans of, you know, Kiss and Aerosmith and all that. Um, ACDC, I mean, those years were precious, you know, um, yeah. but we were kind of a green band, you know, and so we did the best we could. And, you know, this whole fame thing was really hoisted on us thanks to MTV and all that. And, you know, it's, it's an unnatural progression i think most of the 80s guys i still know a lot of them feel like they were shot out of a cannon and then all of a sudden somebody pulled the net out at the last minute you know so um back then now you know i had it's 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 a long story i won't go into it here but um i joined white lion under kind of a um a weird sort of thing because i had already seen the band before they were signed and all that in in new york and i was headed to la and I was just going to L.A. just to see which way the wind blew because I heard there was a scene out there. I just wanted to see what was going on. And so um, uh, the guys at the uh, Rock Club L'Amour, which used to be a strip club, but then it became this like place where all the bands would go through in Brooklyn. I lived right by there. Um, they, um, the managers of that club had picked up White Lion and basically put the thing together. You know, got Vito Brada and Mike Tran together and put this band together and I'd gone seen them before I made a move to go to California because the guys had seen me play with Ray Gillen and Bobby Rondinelli and his brother in a band and they said to me they said you well before you go you should think about playing bass with these guys they need they need a bass player because I think uh Dave Smith was leaving or something and so I said I'll come see him you know so I went to the club the club holds about 2,000 people and um I remember standing there and watching them on stage thinking they were great but I thought they were like so much like Van Halen that, you know, I, I said, well, what are they, you know, how are they going to get in? We already have a Van Halen, you know? And so with that, I said, I told the guys, I said, they're, they're a fantastic band, but I don't think it's for me because I don't really see where, what their journey is, you know? And so I took off and then, um, I guess I am in the story. Here we go. So, um, I'm, a, I become a motorcycle messenger out in LA. I'm in a band, all this stuff. And, um, I end up um, getting into a scrape with my motorcycle. Motorcycle's out of commission. My knee's a little banged up. And uh, so I'm out of luck. I run into a friend of mine at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. 
And he goes, well, how are you doing? And I said, well, I'm about to hit dire straits. I'm kind of running out of money and options and stuff. He goes, well, you know that White Lion Band still needs a bass player. And I was like, oh, really? And they go, yeah, they're going to Germany to record a record next month. And so I got, and he goes, well, I'll give you the number of the manager. Call them up. I bet they'll fly you out. They wanted you. So I did that. And, you know, I went there and then I got there and I was thrilled to sit down with that band because um, actually they were playing music that I didn't hear at that thing. They, were, they started having all this music that sounded more like pop music to me. It didn't sound like metal music. And so I thought, well, this could have legs. This is, you know, this could be a lot of vocal space, a lot of melody, a lot of great guitar playing. So I really kind of, I really grew into the band immediately. And then we took off and the rest is history. And so I forgot where I was going at the tail of this. Now, why did I go along here? Pride and glory. <laughs> Pride and glory. Okay. So we do all, okay. Thank you for bearing with me on this. Um, so we go all the way there uh, five, six years later, gold records, platinum records, MTV, all the tours, all that stuff. We end up on a tour with uh, with um, Vixen opening up, us in the second spot, and Ozzy Osbourne in the headliner. Um, this is where I first meet Zach Wild. Um, we immediately became best buds. Um, we were kindred spirits, and we were kind of assholes all at the same time. And so we just started having a great time on tour. And what that ended up meaning was um, going out to uh, clubs, like we play some arena, right? And then we go to the local bar. Inevitably, there'd be some band playing live music, and then we'd politely grab their instruments and play. And they didn't mind because they're like, it's Zach, yeah. Zach Wild, yeah. yeah. And so we did that constantly. And then uh, Greg Angelo came with us and he played drums and all that. So we get back to LA, and we're doing one last tour as White Lion because the writing was on the wall, and the band was just about finished up with their Atlantic stuff. And so Zach and I. You know, we kept hanging out. We kept doing the same here in L.A. We'd go to the clubs and we'd go to the what's now called the Viper Room. Um, we'd play small gigs there. And people would come see us because they already knew who we were, you know. Play a place called the Coconut Teaser, which is now a restaurant called Hyde. And people would come and see us there. So we had, like, this buzz. Geffen Records signed Zach based on all of this. We start demoing music. And then Pride and Glory is, is born. And then enter uh, Brian Tishy. Brian Tishy ended up playing drums in that. And um, so the best of times, because there was so little contrivance in that band. Everything we did was completely organic, right from rehearsing in Zach's garage out here in Santa Clarita, where he, where he used to live. And um, we went to Seattle and got up there in the studio and all kinds of crazy shit happened up there. Um, the producer, the late uh, Rick Parrish, who was a great producer and a wonderful soul, he's passed yeah. away since, but... Um, he was kind of, he didn't know what to make of us. He basically kind of stayed away and let us just have the run in the studio, just gave us the keys of the engineer. And so we just sat in the studio and basically recorded everything live. We did three takes of everything. And that was pretty much the way that record was made, you know. And then we hit the road in a van and a case of beer at our feet and took on the world, so to speak. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm thrilled that the record's out again. I, I wasn't aware that was going to happen. It's kind of a surprise to me, but okay. And, um, it's nice that maybe some more people can get to hear it. And, and you know, you ended up playing with Zach again, and so that, that's just got to be a good a good working relationship, you know? Yeah, yeah, Zach and I, like I said, we go back and we go back. So uh, when um, after I was finished with David Lee Roth's band after about four or five years, that's my thing, four or five years, I guess that is the lifespan. Anybody <laughs> wants to do, you know, anybody wants to be a side man, it's, it's five to six years. <laughs> um, I should actually, I, I'm almost done with Fogarty, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, 
anyway, um, so yeah, so um, after um, after after uh, David the Ross fan, I was sitting up in uh, Santa Clarita. I just bought a house there, and Zach was right up the road. So I hadn't spoken to him for quite some time since we did Book of Shadows, I think. And so I gave him a call. Hey, dude, what you doing? And I started putting up a fence in the backyard to keep the chihuahua from running down the hill. And um, Zach shows up all of a sudden with a case of beer. And that fence never got finished for about two weeks, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we started going. So one day he shows up at my door. I'm having breakfast. And he's got Craig Neunemacher in his truck, in his big pickup, and a bunch of amps in the bed. And he goes, come on, we're going to go make a record. And all of a sudden I was in Black Label. I didn't even know. <laughs> and that's true. That's how that happened. <laughs> I heard an interview recently where Zach was on. I think it was Mitch Lafon, and he mentioned in passing. Oh, I love Mitch. Yeah, he mentioned a Pride and Glory reunion in passing, and I didn't know if he was joking. I mean, is that like anything that's ever been discussed? No, I haven't heard hiding your hair. Like I said, I was surprised there were the record was released okay. again. I'd also heard. I mean, Brian Tissue was on our podcast here just a couple months ago. We didn't talk about Brian. this. But I heard him on another uh, podcast where he mentioned that once you guys finished the Pride and Glory tour, you went both of you went directly into the Snake Pit tour. So was that kind of we like went a, to, yeah yeah was that kind of hectic like doing that stuff nonstop there for a couple of years? Well, I just I just had my daughter at that moment. So what was hectic about it was um, right after Pride and Glory, my daughter was born. I was home. It all kind of worked out okay, you know. Um, but um, I get a call from Brian and Mike Inez had just um, joined Allison Chains. And so he was part of the snake pit at that point, as was um, uh, Matt Sorn. And so um, somebody recommended Tishy and, you know, to replace Matt in that because they were going on tour. And all of a sudden these guys were just, you know, gone. And so Tishy went in there and then Tishy called up and said, you know, my friend James is right down the road. He's a really good bass player. We should probably try him out. And so I came down there. That's when I first met Gilby and um, and Slash and everybody else in the band, Dover. And um, we just, that was a whirlwind, dude. That was like um, two weeks of re- worth of rehearsal and we were on the road. I had these giant pieces of paper all over the drum riser because I didn't have time to really know all these songs, you know. But uh, that, that went on for a couple of years, maybe two years. And we did a world tour. And actually, Brian and I sat at Mates with... Uh, with uh, Slash for an additional year, uh, writing up material for an album that never came out. So, okay, so it wasn't that second album; it was something else that didn't get released. Yeah, no, no, no. We were doing something, then Slash decided to be a, a Slash blues ball band. Okay, so gotcha. We wanted, to, we wanted to have a ball. We weren't having a ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Brian Tishy and mentioned Kenny earlier, I mean, working with both those guys who are world class drummers and among other people, I mean, do players like that make your job super easy live? I am blessed, dude. I'm blessed and blessed and blessed because I could have only dreamed to play with uh, some of these great drummers. I mean, you know, fans of each and every one of them. You know, I became a, a fan of Brian's as soon as he came into the room. He's just yeah. he's a force of nature. Um, this year, I was fortunate to uh, uh, play and record with uh, Bill Ward. Wow. Never thought that would happen, and that was just amazing because he's just—he is just that. He's a perfect gentleman, but when he sits down on the drums, it is uniquely him. It sounds like him. Um, Kenny Aronoff, who I've been playing with for six years, and we're best of friends. Um, I can pick out his drum sound on the radio anytime. Like if something comes, like I, if I don't even know, it's like that's Kenny, and then I'll ask him the next day. He goes, "Yeah, that was me." You know, <laughs> it's like a Belinda Carlisle. Heaven is a place on earth. That was you, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, man. I mean, and you know, I, I God, I'm just forgetting a lot of the great drummers. Ray Luzier, for yeah. God's sake, he's you know, yeah, he's the beast. I, he just you, just when you think he can't get any better, he does every time. <laughs> So he's one of those great drummers, too, that I've been fortunate to play with. And making my job easier, um, yeah, because now I can sit there and create and play with Reckless Abandon. I used to, um, when I do clinics, I used to say this, and I've stopped saying it since because I don't agree anymore. But um, I used to tell people, if you want to get really good on your instrument, on your bass guitar especially, try and play with a shitty drummer. Because if you can make music out of that, then that's that's a testimony to you. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, we had like a fill-in drummer in one of my bands, and he was just awful. And I decided that that's bad advice. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that, kids. <laughs> Talk about how did the LA rhythm section come to be? Well, that was just because um, Kenny and I had been doing a lot of sessions independently. Um, we're in my little um, studio room uh, out here in my home, and Kenny has a uh, Kenny has a lockup uh, studio with a full desk and all that stuff out in North Hollywood. So we were independently doing recordings with each other over the internet, as most people do. Like he'd send me tracks. As a matter of fact, there was this one time he had to get eleven tracks out, and so he'd finish one on one side, and then he'd email it to me, and I'd finish it. We'd send it off as an engineer, or package it, and send it off to the client. So we've been doing this um, for quite some time. So we just decided to call it something so that people could, you know, uh, reach out to us together and we could just kind of continue doing this. The great thing about it is that, you know, um, you get Kenny's sound and he has uh, great mics and great pre's and all that stuff. So you get that basis and you get my sound and all that stuff. And, you know, we play really well together. I mean, we've just been doing it forever. So it's a second nature thing. And our approach is the same as... Um, you know, like the like the Wrecking Crew bands, like you know all those kind of yeah. old school studio players. We approach the music like that. We listen to what the music is, and we try to optimize it. And we don't just kind of sit four on the floor unless that's what it needs. You know, so we we infuse our own ability and personality and experience into everything we do together. Well, I would assume. I mean, I'm just making an assumption as a bass player that you're probably a Rush fan. Um, there isn't anyone who isn't a Rush fan. <laughs> that's right. I mean, that's right. Except, no, except a lot of wives and girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody's thoughts on Neil Peart is that he's amazing, but just like, what are your thoughts as a, as a fellow player? On what um, he Neil, Neil, Neil Peart, um, was, um, especially, I mean, when moving pictures came out, the, the word game changer is underused in, in context with that, because that really changed the way everybody kind of thought about what rock into metal drumming could be. I mean, that kind of precision, that kind of like a space for each sound and that kind of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The, um, uh, uh, you know, perfusion, the strength that he played with. Um, nobody had done that up until then. So, you know, I, I would go as far to say as he probably modified people's perception of drums as much as maybe Eddie Van Allen did for guitar in that record, especially. You know, and that's that's what I got out of it. And I remember being really excited. And, you know, people cannot listen to uh, uh, Tom Sawyer without air drumming. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that ending part. <laughs> exactly. Cool, man. We won't keep you all night. We just we appreciate you taking the time to do this. Oh, man, this is a blast, man. It's good to good to see you guys. Good to see us here sitting out in Tulsa right now. Yeah, that's yes. right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> Beautiful, man. All right. Well, I'm going to look forward to coming back and seeing you guys live and in person. And when I do, you give me a call. We'll get together. All right. Definitely. Well, thank you very much.
There you go, James Lomenzo. A huge thank you to him for taking the time out to spend a little bit of time with us there. Record that interview on Skype. That was a great, a great deal. I'm glad we got to do it. Oh, for sure. Quite an honor. Definitely. Like we mentioned beforehand, like you heard throughout that interview, he's been with John Fogarty for several years now. He's also a part of the White Lion heyday back in the late 80s, early 90s, as well as being in Pride and Glory slash the Snake Pit, Black Label Society. Uh, he was in David Lee Ross band for a while. Yeah. Uh, Megadeth. He's obviously the only bass player that's ever been in Megadeth that wasn't named David Elfson. Well, no, there was James McDonough. Oh, that's right. The Iced Earth dude. That's right. Okay. Scratch that. I'm a nerd. Sorry. <laughs> but I should have known that too as soon as you said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, like you mentioned there, he's part of that Project Hell, which. That's right. You, know, you always that see that name pop up every once in a while. Yeah, I'd forgotten about it until he said it because, you know, the guy does so much. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely check out all this stuff if you have not. And follow James Lomenzo on all the socials and check out John Fogarty next time it comes to town. All right. If this is uh, your first time listening, we greatly appreciate it. We've got 249 previous episodes. We've had all kinds of guests. We've had Gene Simmons of KISS, Bruce Kulik, formerly of KISS. Like we mentioned, David Elfson. He's been on here. Chris Broderick, who used to be in Megadeth, has also been on here, as well as guys from, if you like the, the 80s stuff, we've had on guys from Warrant, Trickster, Firehouse, Dokken, L.A. Guns, Kicks, Junkyard, Frank Cannon from Tesla. And hey, guess what? I should have mentioned this earlier. Nope. We can announce now that Frank Cannon is going to be on this podcast very soon. It happened again. Yeah, we just recorded a uh, episode. Hell yeah. So look for that one coming soon. Right on. We've also got one coming up with Tommy Erickson of Slumlord Radio. And yeah, a host of other people have been on here, like guys from Seven Dust and Prong and a long-ass list. So just dig through it and check it out. SoundCloud.com backslash Thunderdash Underground. You can find us on iTunes, Google Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, Mixcloud. Get on YouTube, follow us, subscribe at The Thunder Underground. Got a lot of review videos on there. Our most recent episode, episode 249, which was our Rocklahoma reaction, lineup reaction, is also on YouTube. So get on there, check that out. TheThunderUnderground.com. You can find all the socials where you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can also listen to the podcast there as well and read reviews. So, yeah, I think that covers it. Hell yeah. All right. Well, once again, a huge thank you to James Lomenzo, Med Farm, and DEB Concerts. And here's to the next 250. Hell yeah. All right. Until next time. Yeah, no, it makes you guys look sexier. A wonderful bouquet behind you. Or a boca. They call it a boca. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> I guess belated happy birthday. Hey, thanks, man. Yeah. Still alive. I think we can still get with that. <laughs> that works, yeah. <laughs> More importantly, happy new year, gentlemen. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. You Hopefully. too. It'll be a good one. Thunder Underground, y'all.